0: Hi there. Welcome to episode 34 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I'm absolutely thrilled to be hanging out on the playground with you today. And before I start my career chat with my fabulous mystery guest, I wanted to invite you to connect with me on Instagram. You can follow me at PuddleJumpCoaching001, and I would love to see you there. A big shout out to Nadia Fredericks a puddle jumper from South Africa, would love to have you join me on the playground for a career chat someday. And now, I am so excited to welcome my friend, and amazing mystery guest, Rodrigo Barbosa. Welcome, Rodrigo Barbosa. It is so wonderful to have you on the playground with, with me, with us today. And you know what I do? I always... Give context. So, Rodrigo and I met when we were both working at OCISO, and Rodrigo's LinkedIn profile says this Dynamic, versatile political science professional with years of experience and formal education in varied aspects of project management, government issues, stakeholder management, and international affairs. Rodrigo, I am delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Tonya, for inviting me to this podcast. And yeah, I was listen to my description on LinkedIn. <laughs> I was thinking about the first word like dynamic and versatile. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I was thinking that it's pretty cultural, you know, from the Latinos, the Latinos environment at work. What do you mean? Sometimes it's more valued. People can switch from one thing to another quickly mm-hmm. in, in their roles than very specified and rigid roles into the organization. And mm-hmm. uh, that is a pro and a con, mm-hmm. but yeah, it just came to my mind, uh, listening to you describing or reading that description on my LinkedIn. So, yep.
0: <laughs> I think they're both important. Dynamic, meaning that you're full of energy and you get things done and versatile means exactly what you do, right? Jump from one thing to the other without missing a beat. Exactly. And the way that you came into OCISO and you were able to be the project coordinator, is that what your title right. is? Yes. You came in and you looked after us in the CED department and you did a phenomenal job. So before we keep talking about that, let's go back and take a look at where you grew up so where did you grow up and, and go to high school? And what was high school like for you? What was the system like? What was the experience like?
1: Wow. Well, I was born in Bogota. It's the capital of Colombia. Colombia has no seasons, but that doesn't mean that all the country is hot. And this is important because Bogota is 2,600 meters of altitude. Hmm. So the temperature is... Is like the maximum is 21, 20, and the minimum is eight. And that doesn't vary during the year. It's just like fixed in a certain way. It could be rainy days, sunny days, of course, but never goes up to 2021, 20, never goes down to eight. Yeah. So it's like a perpetual September, Canadian September. That sounds nice. Yeah. So I grew up in that environment without seasons, without knowing what is season. For me, if I want to get hot and go, you know, to outdoor pool, we just drive one hour down the mountain, and if we want some more cold, we just drive up to the mountains.
0: So, are you saying that so there's Bogota, and if you go an hour south, yeah, it's it's warmer, and then if it's you go warmer. an hour,
1: okay, I don't know. The thing is. The capital of Colombia is in the middle of the country, in the middle of the mountains. It was more so like a fortress. Because it's curious, Colombia has two oceans. We have way out to the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic through the Caribbean. But the capital is in the middle of the mountains. So for many centuries, most of the coast was very uncommunicated with the center of the country. Three mountain chains in that part, the Andean mountains split in three arms. Mm-hmm. So it is pretty uh, inaccessible in- for in-, in that time before the you know modern, modern transit devices. But yeah, that's the story of my country. <laughs> it sounds, very weird.
0: sounds lovely. And I thank you for this because what you're doing is kind of... Bringing me, bringing us there, so we can really get a feel for it. And this is now like an international playground project, and I really yeah. appreciate that.
1: I grew up in a, I don't know if it's middle class, I guess, Bogota. But even if I were, I live in, in the of the center of Bogota, the city, is an eight million people city. <gasps> in one city? Yes, that's like size of Toronto, but. I know why my family don't want I I live close to to my neighborhood uh because we see many people just going most of the kids going out of the school and you know stay around and they don't want that hmm. they sent me to study on the suburbs so I spend like one hour in the in the, um like a school bus mm-hmm to go there and one hour to go back. The good thing, it was like a more countryside place. Mm. So it was it is beautiful, a lot of outer space, like a lot of grass, a lot of trees. It was beautiful school. I really enjoy it. Another thing of Colombia, and this happens in many Latino countries, is that the public school, they are public education, free. Okay. But the, the environment there, you know, is not very healthy. Uh, there are many problems, many things of security, a lot of things. So most of the people, when they have some income, try to send your kids to the private school. Uh. But it's pretty popular. It's not like like here, for example, in Ontario, you can see that only private school is only for rich, very rich people. And it's not very common. Mostly everyone here just send your kids to the, the public school. Uh-huh. But now in, in Bogota, is more the public school is for very low income uh, margin of society. And normally when you have some income, you can try to put your kids on private schools,
0: uh-huh.
1: which is sad. I think is sad, but at the same time, permits some people can have different types of education. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was my high school. You know what? I, I really want to study when I was like in seventh grade, astrophysics. That? <laughs> that was... <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this was astrophysics
1: Jeez. was my, my passion. Like in that time, I was watching Carl Sagan documentaries. Oh. That was fantastic for me. I was, yeah. watch all these things. Um, that was great. However, and this is one of the lessons: how important is the school education? School teachers. Mm. And when we, we were starting to see calculus in the um, in this high school, mm. I had a very very bad teacher for math. Oh. Instead of that, I had a very very good teacher for social sciences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I was in tenth grade. I started to switch. You know, to mm. maybe not doing too much math and getting more like into philosophy, into social science, geography, all these things. Yep. So at the end of the high school, I was just knowing that I wanted to study something related to the humanities mm. and yep, that, that was mostly my, my high school. Yeah. Normal guy. Just a regular no. guy. <laughs> just a normal guy. Yeah. Okay. Not, not too much, not too less. <laughs>
0: So average, not, nothing average. wrong with that. I like that. So, like the way that it works here, right, is people are kind of streamed, and they, if they're going to go to university, they go, they take these courses, and if they're going to go to college, they take these, and if they're going to go into the work world, they take different courses. Is it like that in Colombia when where you were, or is it a different kind of logistical setup?
1: You mean in the high school? Hmm. Uh, Everybody have to follow every like school, even pli- private or public, have to follow the same curriculum. Okay. However, some schools can offer like optionals, but mm. it's not as strict as here that you see. I've, I've listened here that you have to check uh, for like theoretical or practical or more right. liberal arts or more like scientific part. It's not in that way. It's more like every school can offer some optionals yeah for example now my my nephew in Bogota is choosing like manual things Mm -hmm. he's learning how to for example uh, some basic carpentry Mm -hmm. and basic pottery things like that oh neat but it's just that school so in my school optional was we can choose for philosophy or we can choose for chemical studies oh yeah but I I I didn't like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, but I found it interesting now, but in that time now, that was mm-hmm. so I got uh, philosophy.
0: Okay. And so when you graduated and you knew that you wanted to get into the humanities, but Did you know exactly what
1: you were going to be studying at university? I knew political science because I, in that time, in that moment, I was reading news all time and I was very into the news and to the politics, but not like doing campaign for any party or something. But in the news, my family always talk about the political and economical like situation in the, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, the living room, in the family gatherings. Always talking about that. So I knew that I want that or law, law oh. studies. So, pretty, pretty close. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, well, sociology, but I didn't see like clearly how can I get a job with that. <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, So I just uh, like send my application to the university for the law school for political mm-hmm. science school and i got one of the 10th uh best course in the application oh gosh. so they gave me um a scholarship of the 50 for political science wow but not for law so i got the political science <laughs> so program. you took political science yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well my, my father like hey no come you take this one yeah so um, it was beautiful. I, I love the uh, my university, I love it. This very old university. Mm-hmm. Uh now is 450 oh. years old. Oh my goodness. One of the first universities was funded in the times of the Spanish Empire. So it is it is beautiful, even if it's in the middle of the city now and surrounded by high buildings. Mm-hmm. is still keep the original structure facility oh. is is uh, like an old Spaniard plaza, you know, like, uh-huh. yeah, if, if some of your audience have gone to Sevilla or South Spain, that university oh. looks like that. So I love it, the structure. It's a very open university. What does public. that mean? An open university? In, yeah, it happens in political science that if you go to the public um, university, the national university, which is public and mostly free, if someone have a non-left uh, like speech, can be like a struggle, you know. But if you go to other universities that are more like private, but you know, more like elitist, okay. you have a, like a left version of the things, you'll be struggling there. So in my university, I felt that it was very open, that you can have different points of view and you can be Mm. respected. And I really love that because I, I really want the debate and the mm-hmm. debate you can construct with the difference, not with the same. That's
0: true. Uh, yeah. When you were in high school, and I don't know, this may not be something that people did in, in Latin American countries, but it, and I never participated in it, but I wanted to. There was something called Model United Nations.
1: Yep, of course. Hey, okay. Did you do it? Yes, I did. Mm. I did in in the high school and then in the university as well. Mm. It is pretty interesting. First, well, I'll g- give you some rules, some idea how to, how the United Nation works, but also mm-hmm. it helps to, you know, the students can see or can understand what's happening in other countries and try to put some geopolitics problems in the mind of, of a teenager which is not you see? No. Nope. But it, it is good. It is good. I think it is also a good experiment to you feel like how to manage your speech, how to mm-hmm. how to convince people. In a in a diplomatic way, it is, I really enjoyed it. Well, I really enjoyed it because I liked the, <laughs> the, the the topics. I, I know some friends of mine like, oh, what I, what we have to do this? Yeah, that is for me, it was my passion. So I take it very seriously and I put a lot of effort on that.
0: <laughs> I love it. And so you had a wonderful time. Everything was great. And then when you were finishing university, what was going on? On in your mind like were you thinking okay I'm gonna continue my education or were you thinking I'm gonna start my career
1: well that was a very ins- uncertain time for me because before graduating I was traveling to chile in Argentina mm-hmm. before I travel I just wanted to okay get a job in the public service in one of in government and stay there forever <laughs> nah. that was the idea like okay try to get a good job and say there but after I, I was traveling for South America, visiting other countries, and then I go back and I say, "Okay, now the world is much more than you know." <laughs> yeah, I'm just like 24. I don't want to be behind the screen all my life, so I started to change my mind. Mm-hmm. And in that period, I tried to to be part of the um, like the career into the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. What could be like mm-hmm. a career global affairs here in Colombia? You can Apply every year, they post like, okay, there will be 20 like spots or 30, and it comes 1000 people for that. Oh gosh, yeah, in every you know, everyone who can barely speak another language just post on it, and yeah, it is very tough. And I did that. And I was almost, (laughs) almost there. So there was 20 spots and I placed 28. So I was like frustrated. And I said, okay, I wanted to be, you know, combine all things like public service, but at the same time, not like traveling, like experiencing other cultures. Mm-hmm. Which is different than just traveling. Yeah. That's why I wanted to be part of the of the ministry. Mm-hmm. So at that moment I just got in blank. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. And then someone told me what do you really like? And I said, Was I really like to just watch news and read news? Mm-hmm. So why do you create a newspaper and I embark on that adventure? And oh. I create a newspaper. Wow. Yeah. Actually, the current president of Colombia, when he was member of the Congress, mm-hmm. I interview him for my for my newspaper. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I got the copy and at, at oh. home in Colombia. That's so cool. <laughs> yes, so I getting that. I made a newspaper, ten thousand copies. I was thinking in a free model that you can just give it for free mm-hmm. and just. Uh, try to to get some profit from publicity. Mm-hmm. It was not good. I was so unexperienced on that. I didn't know the business model. But I I had four like four versions, mm-hmm. like four I, editions, four editions. yep mm-hmm. four editions. It was good for a guy doing that in his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and ten thousand copies is not bad for a free oh for a free one.
0: How did you do that? Like, what was the
1: logistics behind that? <laughs> it was crazy. Everyone has to be involved. All my friends, well, hey, can you help me to give them in the, because I I, I want to make the deliver mm-hmm. hand in hand in front of the universities and some public buildings. Like I know was important. So that was before COVID. So everybody goes to in person to work. Mm-hmm. So that's to just put people there and delivering. So you printed them out. Like you went to a printer. I went to, yeah. Oh my gosh. I went to a printer. I, I, I just go there. I was fascinated. how the printer? Have you seen the machine that prints the newspaper is incredible. This is huge. I I have. Yes. I've worked at a, I worked at a printing company before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you have a book, so (laughs) you can understand me what you feel when you see your first yes. edition printed it yes. yeah oh my gosh i did this yeah so i did that without any money with mm. nothing from scratch absolutely <laughs> so oh my gosh i was so proud by myself yeah but the lives go on and I start to see after some months that this is a very like project that is not very profitable mm. and i and i have the the dilemma like or i find a job <laughs> mm-hmm or I continue with this idea without any, like, really north on this. Yeah. So doing this, the dean of the faculty mm-hmm. just, just called me, like, hey, I read your newspaper. I think it's great. How can I help you? If you can help me with publicity, good. If not, just help me to find a job <laughs> because I now really nice. need a job. Mm-hmm. So he got me, and I was teaching at the university as an system professor, yeah, mm-hmm. for one year, and then into the university that the name is Universidad del Rosario, University oh, of okay. Rosario. Mm-hmm. Uh, they launched the masters in journalism. Mm. And they immediately call me. Hey, you start this adventure because everybody in the university knows me mm-hmm. because of the of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. You started this, and maybe you will be interested in doing the master's. And I say, oh, of course. And I got into the journals. Mm, awesome. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I I really love it. Really love the journalism. The good one, the mm. the classic one.
0: Yes. And when you studied journalism did you study all the different types like print yeah.
1: um okay and mostly the more than the um the platform like print, <laughs> video or radio it was more like types of journalism chronic report fast news like mm-hmm. uh, covering because it doesn't matter if you're going to write or film the type as you tell the story is the is the is the thing mm-hmm. and it was very like square I, I it was coming from you know academic paper mm-hmm. like po- doing policy paper or teaching public policy so for that was you know, for me, like, and I start to learn wh- why my my newspaper failed. <laughs> yeah. And how old were you at this time? Twenty six.
0: Twenty six, and you've been teaching university students, and then you do your masters. Yes. And when you finished your masters, what then? Like, I'm just trying. I'm picture you trying to picture you with all of these ideas and and passions.
1: Where did you go next? I have to say that I had a lot of energy at the time because I was studying the master's. At the same time, I was working in the first in the university and then in a magazine. Then I found a job as a journalist. And mm-hmm. so I was doing the master's, find a job. Also, oh, partying because every weekend I was... <laughs> like with my friends, parents. Yes. And at that time, my fa- I I met Diana, my my wife. Mm-hmm. So I was dating her, studying, <laughs> working. It was big. yeah, it was crazy. I had the shift in the in the magazine. I have mm-hmm. for, the, for the website, so I have the shift five pm to two am to so two am. Yes, and I <laughs> had the the class for the masters at seven am sometimes. So I just get. You like a zombie to home and uh-huh. then wake up and go. But I really, really enjoyed that part of my life. I really enjoyed that. And
0: that's because you were in your 20s.
1: Yes, I think. The, yep. yeah. And, and also the energy when you really love what you do. Yes. It, it gives you, it's not a job. I mean, I never felt the, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the writer, Colombian writer. Mm-hmm. He used to say like, journalism is hard. But working is worst because this is not the j- job that's true They're, when you enjoy the, that it's not a job and I was mm-hmm. fascinated with that model but at the same time I mentioned I was dating my wife mm-hmm. and before I met her she started to she, she started um, computer sciences she wanted to come to Canada because her sister lives here in Montreal for many years ago. So she had applied for that skilled worker visa. Mm-hmm. And in that time I was, okay, good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find Canada as a lovely country, yes, but I'm here and I'm in the middle of this beautiful tornado of things around me. Mm-hmm. But in that moment... She got pregnant <gasps> and lives changed uh-huh. immediately. That's a pivot right there. Yeah, because one thing is when you're thinking just by yourself mm-hmm. and join. but then I see, okay, no, I don't want to, I don't want to live here with my boy in the midst of all, all this convulsion that sometimes is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if he has the opportunity to live in a most stable, nice country, let's try it. So... Yep, started the pack. Then she informed the embassy, like, oh, I just get uh pregnant and married, so what to do? So the embassy said, Okay, let's wait. The kid was born in Colombia and then you can come all together. Okay. Yeah. And so when was this? That was in twenty twelve, but we really traveling here to twenty eighteen until we were ready. But because those process now is faster, but in that time the process was very slow Mm. with the IRCC. So we don't have to like rush. And when it comes, we say, "Okay, let's start in Canada." And here we are. Mm -hmm. And so you got here in twenty eighteen. 2018. Do you remember the date? 21st August. In like one, one or two weeks later comes the ter- oh. the tornado in Gatineau. And oh. I say, oh my oh, goodness, yes. I didn't know there is a tornado. <laughs> I never seen yes. one type of things in my life. I- boom! All the houses without roof and things. Oh, oh. my goodness! But that was the, the my wow my shock. <laughs> Welcome to Canada. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Wow. So crazy tornado. And how long did it take you to find employment?
1: Well, when I when I just get here, I have one thing like clear is that I just want to work in my field mm-hmm. in political science specifically because part of the story is that after I left the, the journalism, I start to work in in public policy again with now with the local government of Bogota. I want to do that or something related here. Unfortunately, when I talked with the first people I met, uh, mostly in the Latino community, they were, no, that's impossible, that's too hard, you have to born here, you don't have enough, English. uh, You also have to speak French perfectly if you want to, you know, work in these types of things. So try to demoralize. Uh, No, you better take a construction uh, job, you know, try the skill jobs. But I I said, no, but I mean, they're well paid. Mm -hmm. I I think it's it's a good option. But I really don't like it. I tried one day to paint, paint a house. It was a disaster. It was, <laughs> you know, I'm an office guy. And, and I was then with a two meters fail with the with roll. Mm-hmm. Tried to paint oh. that two two floors house with that. Yeah. And I said, my goodness, after one hour, I was so exhausted. The mm-hmm. other painters like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, I was a disaster. So I really just think it. I want only will be happy if I do what I want.
0: So question for you then, because you know what? I've heard a lot of times that this happens, that the community members say to the, the newly arrived person, oh, no, you have to take a survival job. There's no way you can get to this. It's so far beyond your your reach. Yeah, it won't happen. Do you think that people who were telling you things were telling you this because they had not been able to
1: develop the career that they wanted? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, a couple of things. I, I don't I never thought that anyone was telling me this with a bad purpose. You know, they mm-hmm. a, a, everyone tried to, you know, to f- give their best advice. Right, and the best advice in that moment was you need to really find a job rapidly so you cannot like suffer too much and you can Mm. feed your family and you can buy a car and you can survive the winter, all these things. Mm -hmm. And it is good. I mean, if it's good, also if you come to Canada and maybe you don't have, or or it could be two things: one that you don't really have too much like curiosity for for like non-manual things, you know, for more Mm -hmm. like academic voting right or also because you don't have too much like education abroad so uh-huh. you you think something that can match rapidly but also because some people study things that they don't really want in their home countries and they just come here and and I know a couple of person that were have office jobs and now they are happy here working in construction uh-huh. and roofing which I found very hard job. <laughs> But I love it. I I know another carpenter, and he loved that. And he used to work in in an office job in Mm. Colombia. But here he said, no, I don't want to be again in in an office. I prefer outdoors. I prefer manage my time. And perfect. And that's one of Mm -hmm. the greatest things of the immigration, mostly in Canada, I have to say, that you can restart if you want it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like we can reboot. Like
1: our computers, right? Yeah, Exactly. Reboot. So you are, I don't know, your parents made you to study, I don't know, medicine, but you really want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. So going to a new country gives you that opportunity. Mostly if you are, you know, with the, well, it's not easy. <laughs> you need to, mm-hmm. to have a certain level of the language you have to meet some people, you have to be there, but it's not impossible and i found the canadian society is pretty open mm-hmm. pretty grateful with all of like us that come to contribute to, mm-hmm. the ones to make it better the things and to want to learn and share our perspective that we come from other places mm-hmm. I, I found this this is very very nice so i mean if someone new here and i still what same i try to communicate with the newcomers that i've met when I was in season and now the people just I met around is try to follow what you want to do. it's hard mm-hmm. it's not easy mm-hmm. it's not easy, but it, you can make it. I cannot say that okay, if you were a CEO of a, <laughs> a bank yes. you come here and you be the CEO of mm. Kovan no that but yeah. at least in the same industry and mm-hmm. also this is a huge country. so if you want uh, I don't know like for example jobs in oil and gas you it's better due to go to Alberta, but there are opportunities there. If you want like, graphic design, Quebec has a great industry on that, so try to move there. Try to also pursue your dreams also geographically, because you can mm-hmm. be frustrated. And I knew Michaelin, Kal, engineer of trains that came to Ottawa, and was frustrated because Cannot find a job. Mm. It's okay, yes, but the, the trays are built in other parts of, of Canada. That's right. Uh, here is only the LRT, but there's no more. And now he's living in Alberta. He found a job and moves there. Uh, yeah, so that was the thing. Yeah. Um, mm. Here, in, it was like trying to pursue our dreams, not easy thing. So my first job was just surviving jobs until I got the IELTS, the test of the English, to be okay. accepted in, in the in the Algonquin College to study project management. Okay. And I studied the project management because I saw that was the link of my career to not only the public sector, but also with the NGOs and nonprofits that work with projects that by the, the government and things like that. So that was the link, and this perspective was given by my mentor of OSISO. That was my next question. Oh. I was just <laughs> gonna say, where did you get that? Because
0: that's a pretty important information to be able to to see. Yeah. And so you you had a mentor with OCSO. Absolutely,
1: and that was she was great, Leonor, she was awesome. We keep communicating with each other. Uh, so. When when we met, she told me what is your purpose, and I told her I want I have a master, so I want to have a master's or a PhD here. Oh. She was like, "Okay, wait, 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 wait. That's what you really want? No, maybe not. Maybe I don't have time because I have a little kid. I'm not very young. Maybe I have still like struggling with the language." She said, what well, do you can match your real purpose, that is find job in your field, with a project management course?" And I was saw so the you know, the description of the program, I said, no, this is the one that was, mm-hmm. it was pretty like more easy to enter, less expensive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and give me another perspective of my job with the project orientation, because I've never had had before in, in the public sector, in the journalism side, when I was working with before. Mm-hmm. So this give me like a, wow, new perspective. I'm really grateful because that helped me to too Much and she helped me to find my first job, non survival job <laughs> here with OC oh, Transpo. Okay, yeah, in the uh, as a client representative in the station where they just launched the system. Oh,
0: yes, yep,
1: yeah. And I met a lot of people in there in the city, so it was like step by step, like first, mm-hmm. a little bit struggling, then I was working with the uh, city government, and then I met, did the um, project management. Uh, Certificate, mm-hmm. and then I went to a CISO, and for a CISO was because I, I saw the um, the description and I said, okay, it is great, it's great. I knew a CISO before. Mm-hmm. So I say okay, this. I want to be there. And I, then I met Tonya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! So and you were there for how long?
1: In the CISO, I was one year and it comes I was very happy there, as you can remember. <laughs> I, I really liked the um, what the organization does. The team was fantastic. City's opportunity in public policy forum, which is my current employer. That's the more the core that I study. Yeah. So I said no. This is, I, I remember I said to my wife, I'm going to try this, not because it's more salary or not. that was not the what I had in mind. It's just because I wanted to like try to like get back to my origin in, in academic purposes and it will be challenging. So let's try. And, yep. mm-hmm. and now almost a year there. And so what do you love about your career? Wow. I, I love my career that it touch everything that happens in our society. It's so broad. Mm. So so broad, so at the end, the government is the expression of the power, an expression of power that the citizens allow, give to to an institution called government. So that institution regulates everything, even when not regulate, it's regulating. Let's say that. That's not regulated, yeah. but this is a policy. So understanding the power, you understand everything what's happening. And that's fascinating for me in a in a like in general mode. The more mm-hmm. particular thing is that y- you can see mostly I, I like this and I have to make the notes. Uh, I like the political science in democracies or in democracy mm-hmm. system, not not mm-hmm. in other systems. But I like to analyze how it works the forces into the democracy. Uh, works. How can a government, you see, governments can do a lot of good on the people and a good mm. and a lot of bad. Having that balance, having that, uh, like how to say is like suing, like right? that precision. Okay. It's, it's an art. Governing is an art. And I, I like at least to see, to listen, to read about that, to know. You see, some countries are very rich, like, for example, Venezuela, and now it's a mess. Mm -hmm. Some other countries, if you see them, could be poor, like Singapore, on a small island, Mm -hmm. middle of the sea in Asia, I mean, with not very, like, too much natural resources. It's one of the richest countries. It is just how do you manage the power, and that's fascinating for me to see what's happened. It's more like a curiosity. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Do you think that if,
1: women were in power more, there would be less war in the world? That's a hard question. I think not all the women in power have been peaceful, for example. Mm. Uh, Catalina of Russia was not, you know... (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty brutal with some... uh, Yep, you're right. Thank Uh, you for the reminder. That that is not a guarantee. I mean, I don't don't think the. What has been more common is that the war, and that that is a fact actually, is that the wars are more likely, not because men and women, more because it's the masculinity, Uh which is Uh different. You can find, I mean, the yeah. example, maybe Catalina of Russia could be that is is female, but it's masculine in, in terms of behavior. That, that's, the system. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. what it works there. I mean, it's Russia. It always has been there. <laughs> I mean, it's Putin, but it's also Stalin. And it was also before him was Alexander and before him was Nicholas or vice versa. So there's not that that's a, a particular country that likes the, the heart. Hand and power. Mm, right. Even if it's men or women, I I don't think that could be yeah. a, a big difference. Yeah. For example, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yes. the war for the Falkland Islands in the with Argentina. That's right. that, That's not a. I mean, if you think if you think probabilistic, of course, ninety eight percent of wars have been ordered by men because ninety eight percent nine men. Monday. Right. They're in power. Exactly. Yeah. So but but I don't know. I don't know if that could help. I, I what I really think is what type of persons, even as women, men, or whatever, mm. is there? What type of person is that that's very complicated things? Many cultural issues, many even personal behaviors. Mm-hmm. That that is crazy. What what do you prefer? As a president or a prime minister, mm-hmm. of a commander of an army, someone that loves the animals, that barely depends on the the time his times, respect women, and is pretty punctual, organized, and strict, or someone that takes a lot of you know liquor, like drinks a lot, Drinks a lot, smokes a lot, and it's very like you know not pretty pretty like strict. So what do you think it could be better? So the instinct. What? could say the first one, correct? Yes. Yeah. But the first one was more like Adolf Hitler, and the second one was more like Winston Churchill. So it depends on the culture, and it depends on many things. So, yeah. You know, it is counter, counter logic.
0: Yeah. No, you're you're right. You're right. I think part of part of me, but I'm always wanting to see people with exceptional levels of emotional intelligence in leadership positions, which reminds me of also in your about section on LinkedIn. It says excellent emotional intelligence and moral ethics and values.
1: Well yeah, I think well, I put that in LinkedIn, <laughs> but it's something <laughs> yeah, <you> that, <laughs> it's someone that we have to always be working on. You know, once, when I had the, the opportunity to speak with the Ministry of Technology in Colombia, uh, I, I just asked him what, what was your worst day, and he said my worst day was when it was a flood, a big flood that swallowed a small town. Not too many people died, but many, like fifty. It's a lot, but not too much for, for the mass of destruction that we were there. But the thing he was very shocked, he wants to cry have to see the, the scene, you know, that it could be very like hell, hellish scene. But he has to, because he was the ministry, one of the ministers that was closest to the point. So the president just called him and said, okay, you have to fly there and try to help. Then the press was interviewing him and he has to behave in front of the camera. He cannot like break, you know, cannot express all the, all the The desolation and pain that he has seen because he's representing the government. He cannot like break and, you know, cry in front of the the cameras. People trust in, in, you know, when in in public servants that keeps their emotions in their place. What if people showed their vulnerability? Why is vulnerability a bad thing? Unfortunately, vulnerability invites others to come and invite, like, invite you, you know? Like attacking people, yeah, can attack you exactly. It's unfortunately, and that that's reality. I mean, one thing is you just don't show any expression. That's not like correct, or I think no, is what it's what it. You can show your your emotions, but I think the the good thing of a you know, when you represent the government is to can show that it this is we are strong. We know what we are doing. Even if they're not, they have to show mm-hmm. we know everything is under control. Don't desperate because if you see try to imagine i don't know any people uh, for example the um, director of the central bank here the, mm. the bank of canada okay. in, a, in a in an interview no this is hell everybody have to sell we are going to hell we are broke you know it will be terrible you, you the panic will be just spread immediately and everybody will be f- you know, living in the chaos. Yes. 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 Well, mostly it, with, with the gov- government, and, and mostly those f- public figures have to show stability hmm. against chaos. That's, that's the, at the end, the bureaucracy is a fight against chaos. Hmm,
0: I'm going to write that down.
1: Nice. Uh, this is good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like that.
0: Yeah, I a just, fight against. Did you just make that up?
1: Yeah, yeah I just made it up.
0: Against, okay. You're actually you're making me more interested in bureaucracy than I usually am yeah.
1: against chaos. A civilized country, and, and that's why Canada has been stable for a very long time, is when you have good bureaucracy. Interesting. It's like when you go to the doctor or a nurse, most than the doctor. You go to a nurse and the nurse is crying with you. She lost all credibility, mm-hmm. but she's just like under control and say, okay, you look bad, but... We're going to fix you. And they do their job. It's, it's what is expected. Not that they yeah. cry with me. That they, I don't know. If I broke my arm, not cry with me. Fix my arm. Uh, yeah. 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 And, Thank you. Yeah. And, and that's the best. At the end, you will be very grateful for someone that give you a good advice or fix you or help, you know, um, make it. Uh, its job at it does. Then for others that didn't do the job, but was very empathetic and cried with you, <laughs> because what you need is a solution in that case. And I was thinking in, it, but in any particular case, yeah, it's great to listen. It's what I think, but listen to understand what is the best advice I can give you, and of course, understanding. Some stories are very like tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to stay apart, but try to keep emotionally apart to give the yep. advice and to move the person to the next step. I, I think that's important. That's right. Don't cry with me. Fix my arm. Yeah. See, you're full of good, full of good, good, good
0: advice and quotes. Now, <laughs> speaking of that, do you have any
1: motivational quotes or words that you live by? Well, I was thinking about that because <laughs> when you told me that, I was thinking, wow, a quote. Mm. And I really want one. That's that's a derivation of of a, of a, of a concept. <coughs> I'm not a religious person, but I like a quote of uh, Saint Thomas of Aquino. He said, "Like fear the one bookman, like fear that person that only have read one book." Mm. If you convert that to nowadays, is fear the radicals, any side? Fear the person that only see one angle of the story in terms of journalism, or that are very, that things that possess the whole truth, only for reading one thing, one point of view. I like that. So if you're the the one bookman. Wow. You, mister, are
0: very interesting, and I love speaking with you. I learn from you. Every time we chat, which is not enough, my friend, it's not enough. So we'll have to, we'll have to get the whole CED team together and, and catch up and, and everything because the people that worked at OCSO,
1: phenomenal. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a great team and I'll be very, very happy to meet each other again. All the team. Yeah. Great people. The good thing yeah. is we, we live in same city. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember just one last thing, <laughs> just came up to my mind. My master, my the dean of the faculty, is one of my greatest friends. He's not very old now, but he was something good. Uh, I, he was very special in many things. But oh. he never tell me hello or good morning or how's it going. Never, never like say the hello. He mm-hmm. talked once. Why? Mm-hmm. Because because he told me. Something great. Because this is an unfinished conversation. We are in an unfinished conversation. That was fantastic.
0: I really like
1: that. Yeah. Oh, Rodrigo. We are in an unfinished conversation. That's amazing. (laughs) So I never say hello and nothing like that to him.
0: That's very intense. And that... Takes me to a very philosophical mindfulness place, an unfinished conversation. Man, Then I can't say goodbye because I don't, we'll just continue.
1: <laughs> Good. That's fine. Oh I like God. it. I like
0: it too. So I can't thank you enough. I hope you had a good time and you enjoyed our chat and everything. Did you?
1: Yeah, I really did. It was fantastic. Thank you for having me in your podcast. Awesome. Yeah, it was great to go back in time and think. Cool. I, I can't wait to see the next, the next part of your journey, my friend. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, hope to see you again, see the whole team. And good Absolutely. luck with your podcast. It's fantastic. It's great project. My best wishes to the playground and you. He, you
0: too. Take good care, okay? <laughs> Take care, Tonya. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Rodrigo. I loved this introduction to Bogota, Colombia. And like Swami in his interview a few episodes ago, Rodrigo takes us on a history and geography lesson of his country. We learn about the school system in Bogota and his decision to study political science and not law. We also get a look at his foray into the publishing world. Faced with the dilemma of continuing to publish a non-revenue-generating paper or finding a job, Rodrigo was offered a teaching opportunity as an assistant professor. He took another opportunity to get his master's degree in journalism and the transition from writing more academic papers, like policies, to journalism. He quickly discovered why his newspaper failed. He was in his 20s, and while studying to get his master's, he was working at the university, then a magazine, and then found a job as a journalist. In addition to all this work, in his 20s, he was also getting to party with his friends. And that's when he met his wife. And even though he was working exceptionally long hours, he really loved that time of his life because he was loving what he was doing, eventually leaving journalism and focusing on a career in public policy. Now, before they had started dating, his wife had applied to come to Canada on a skilled worker's permit. For Rodrigo, he was happy in Colombia. Plans changed when his wife became pregnant. He realized he did not want to live there with his child, instead preferring to raise his family in Canada, a more stable and secure country. He tells us that after moving to Canada in 2018, he and his family were shocked by the tornado that hit the national capital just two weeks later. Determined to find work in political science, he was discouraged by fellow Latin immigrants from pursuing this goal. He explained that he's an office guy and does not have a natural inclination or aptitude For a job in construction, he recognized that he would only be happy if he got to do what he wanted. We spoke about the different reasons people would be advising him to get a survival job and the opportunities that newcomers have when it comes to reinventing themselves by changing their careers to something that offers them more satisfaction. The advice he gives other immigrants is that, yes, it is hard. Starting over is not impossible. And that they can also follow their dreams geographically. He also shared the importance of having his English level assessed through IELTS so he could study project management at Algonquin College. He became a mentee in OCISO's career mentorship program, and his mentor showed him the link between project management and both the public sector and non-government organizations, NGOs, that work with the government. His mentor, Lenore Evans, also suggested that getting a project management certification may move him closer to his goal of finding a job in his field rather than getting another master's degree. He is grateful for that new perspective. With her support, he found his first non-survival job with OC Transpo, where he was able to meet a lot of people who worked with the city of Ottawa. It was his training in project management that led him to secure the project coordinator position with the community economic development team at OCISO, where we were colleagues. But then a year after working at OCISO, he found an opportunity in public policy. He shared what he loves about his career. And then we had a good chat about the types of government that there are in the world and what would happen if more women were in positions of power. His motivating words from Thomas Aquinas are, I fear the man of a single book. This means our education needs to be well-rounded, and we need to have a broader range of perspectives than than a more narrow mind. Essentially, the world is not black and white. It is full of gray, and we need to be comfortable navigating this. Thank you so much, Rodrigo, for sharing your journey with us on the playground today. And I am very much looking forward to what's next in your career. Please remember to give me a follow at PuddleJumpCoaching001. And please join me for next week's career chat when I will have another incredible mystery guest join me on the playground. Have a beautiful week ahead, living in the nuances of our world. And until next time, when we will jump into the future together.